Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I'm just the co-host, Austin. And before we get started, we have some shout outs to make and a big announcement. So we're just going to dive right into that. We have some new Patreons. Are you ready? Let's go. Isabella, oh man, Navarrete, Navarrete. I'm not really sure. Isabella, Corinne Petrus, Lauren Landstoffer, Megan Finnamore, Mm -hmm. Caitlin Hurley, Ashlyn Lynn, Katie Pitts, and Audrey. Let's go. Thank you so, so much for your support and for joining our Patreon. Um, There's some new merch out. I oh, just it's designed cool too. the vintage, the vintage yes, tea. the comfort colors tea. Yeah, oh my gosh, cool. I think it might be my new favorite. I mean, every time I come out with one, it's my new favorite. But this one is my absolute favorite. So, um, if you follow us on Instagram, you can find it there. If you're a Patreon, um, there is a level of Patreons that get a twenty percent off discount on merch. So you definitely want to use that. But the links to shop are in our Instagram. The shirt's really cool. It's like one of my most recent posts. Go check it out. It's really cool. But um, if you go to graphics22.com, you should be able to see it on there. Thank you. Um, And this is so crazy. And I'm going to kind of just like give you guys as much information as I can, but it is limited. However, I just, I have to share it with you guys because so many of you have been listening since the very beginning when we started this show two and a half years ago. And... It has grown exponentially since then, and especially within the last few months, it's really Taking like off. started to take off. And you guys are the reason for that. And you guys are the reason for that. And that is never, ever, ever lost on me. So I was reach, recently approached for this opportunity. It is literally just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, um, and I was chosen for it. And so I'm flying out to New York City on Sunday. It's like such a last minute thing because it's literally it in like down. two days. Yeah, we got to tell how it went down. So it was it was Thursday morning and Kelly hit me up and I was in a meeting or something and she calls me and I'm like, hey, I can't talk right now. And she's like, okay. And I didn't know it was this big, exciting thing. And Kelly got hit up due to her you know, expertise with Mama Mystery and all the research and hard work you put into it. Mm-hmm. And everybody listens, and so we've got a following. And Kelly says, hey, um, I have this opportunity to go to New York to speak as an expert on this case. Mm-hmm. That we've covered. Thing. And, and anyways, so then, you know, being Kelly, who she is, she does all kinds of research to make sure this isn't like some weirdo. A scam. A scam <laughs> of some sort, which I, I had to ask it like, after like 20 hours of talking about this, I was like, hey, this isn't fake, right? And Kelly was like, oh my God, don't put that in my head. <laughs> I had already done so much research to like combat all of those mm-hmm. feelings of like, is this a scam? Is this real life? Because it's just so unbelievable, but so they end, it's legit. Yeah. And they end up saying, hey, we want you here. and uh, But here's the thing. You have to fly in. Uh, we need you in New York Sunday. And it's Thursday. And like we have kids and a life and mm-hmm. shit to do. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, throughout the next... 12 hours, Kelly communicates with this Person. agency, these people, yeah. and um, and yeah, and so we're going to New York for just a quick trip. Yeah, I've never been to New York City. Out. I'm so excited. I just can't even believe it. I feel like this is the start of something really cool, and as soon as I'm able to tell you guys more about it, I absolutely will. Um, and on Monday, your favorite co-host is turning... 30. Oh. The dirty 30. Yeah. We're so excited. I can't believe you are going to be 30. And you know, you have done so much for me as far as like being supportive and shouting me out and like giving me all these 
you know, words of affirmation. And I just have to say, you are currently 29 years old. You're in your last days of your 20s. But Austin Reed, nobody I know has accomplished this much in their less than 30 years than you have. You have accomplished a crazy amount of stuff. You have Fit Republic, these businesses that you you own and have grown. You started Lean Kitchen, which is a franchised meal company with so what, how many locations over all over the country? We have a handful. Austin, it's like sixty. We have thirty two open, sixty five sold. Yes, awesome franchisees, good people. Yes, and then we have our our ice cream businesses, and you handle all this stuff, and you get home at a decent time to spend time with your wife and children and put the kids to bed. Like, come on. Thank you, babe. You deserve to be so celebrated. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you, too. Okay, so and um, now that that's out of the way, we've wasted five of your minutes for some personal stuff, but I hope you enjoy it. Are you ready for this? you know what? We were going to talk for another two minutes, but you know what? We're just going to give those back to you right now. You can put those back in your pocket, do whatever it is you need with that time. Don't. Have you seen those memes? No. It's like when a boss, when a boss ends a meeting two minutes early and they're like, Oh guys, we're all done. It's one twenty-eight. I know this thing was scheduled to go towards one thirty. Guys, take that time. It's yours. You know, do whatever you want with it. Have a smoke break, grab a bite to eat. That two minutes is back in your pocket. That's your time. Well, you just wasted two minutes doing all that. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. Okay. Today we are talking about the case of Lisa Marie Gray. I know you haven't heard of it. No. Never heard of any of these. So Lisa Marie Gray was born in Dorsey, Mississippi on July 11th, 1983 to parents John and Wanda. She was a vivacious child with a big personality, and as she got older, she aspired to become a teacher. As she entered her senior year of high school at Itawamba Agricultural High School, she was the vice president of her class, a member of the Chorus Sextet, Juniorettes, Future Educators of America, and the Future Business Leaders of America. Girls out here balling. Yes. She was the secretary of DECA and a diamond girl. She was also a member of the senior youth group at her church, Bethel Baptist Church. And on top of all of these responsibilities, Austin, she worked as a waitress at her uncle's restaurant called Comer's. She's a go-getter. She was a go-getter. She was very busy, you know, on the straight and narrow. So on Friday, June 22nd of 2000. past tense, and that's sad. Well, from my observations of what you've told me in the past. Yeah. I mean, this is a true crime podcast. Go ahead. Unfortunately, these stories don't typically end well. Go ahead. But on Friday, June 22nd of 2000, Lisa was 16 and she was working her shift at Comer's. Now, Dorsey is a very small town in Mississippi with a population of nearly 4,000 people. Everyone is pretty recognizable. And local restaurants like Comer's, you know, they have their regulars. So when someone comes in that isn't a regular, they usually stand out like a sore thumb. And Thomas Edwin Loden Jr. was one of those people. He was an 18-year veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps, and at the time, he was working as a Marine recruiter and living in Vicksburg, Mississippi, with his wife and young daughter. Vicksburg is about four hours away, but he was in Dorsey to visit his grandmother, Rena. Thomas graduated from Lisa's high school the year before Lisa was born, in 1982. So right after high school, he joined the Marines and served in the Gulf War. 
He was selected as an outstanding recruit and honorman of his platoon, and his commanding officers described him as the poster boy of the U.S. Marine Corps. By 1992, he was an E-7 gunnery sergeant, and he received many accolades. Eventually, he married his wife, Katrina, and they settled down in Vicksburg when he accepted a job as a Marine recruiter. In June of 2000, he was put on a 10-day leave of absence because his grandmother, Rena, was not doing well. So he went to Dorsey to visit her and spend some time with her. So on June 22nd of 2000, when Thomas walked into Comer's, he really stood out, and his waitress was Lisa. He flirted with her a little bit because Lisa was really pretty. I didn't mention that earlier because obviously her other things were way more important, but she was very pretty. So he flirted with her a little bit, and then um, he returned later that evening around 9 p.m. to order a cheeseburger to go. So he literally came to the restaurant twice. When Lisa finished her shift around 10.30, she got into her 1992 green Honda Accord to make her way home, which was only about a mile from the restaurant. But just as she made her way down the gravel road to her house, she realized she had a flat tire. So she got out to inspect it, and at around 10.45 p.m., Thomas Loden pulled up behind her. He introduced himself as a Marine, probably to ease the tension of a stranger approaching her so late at night, and he offered to help her change her tire, and as he got to work, he could just kind of started making small talk with Lisa. She's got to be, like you would think, a touch weirded out that this guy came in two times, he's never been seen before in here, and now he's next to me on the road in the middle of the night. Yeah, and he flirted with her, but she really wasn't responding to his flirtations. He wasn't, she wasn't giving it back. But like, am I right that as a chick, it would be a pretty uneasy feeling? Yeah, and I, I only point out the fact that he was flirting with her and she didn't recipro- reciprocate because I feel like that would just make him even more recognizable. Like, right. oh God, you were the guy bugging me earlier. Great. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they're making small talk, and apparently he asked if she had ever thought about joining the Marines, and he said that Lisa responded saying, no, that is the last thing I would want to do with my life. Well, apparently Thomas became enraged by this answer. He was so insulted by it. So he ordered Lisa into his van and drove with her in the van to his grandmother's farm. Now, by about 11 o'clock that night, when Lisa still hadn't arrived home from work, her mom, Wanda, started getting really worried. This drive home should have been quick, only five minutes tops. And the route home was through a very familiar territory with friends and family owning the properties that hugged either side of the road. So Wanda started calling her friends and family to see if anyone knew where she was. She started, or she first called the cook at Comer's named Richie and asked if Lisa was still there. And Richie said that she wasn't there and that he'd already left, but he did remember on his way home that he passed a vehicle on the side of the road with its flashing um, hazard lights on. So Richie drove back to that location where he saw the car. And as he approached, the hazards were still on. So he parks his car, he walks up to the car and realizes that the doors were unlocked and the passenger door was slightly ajar. Inside the car on the passenger seat were Lisa's belongings, her cell phone, her purse, her keys. So Richie calls Wanda and tells her he found her car and that it had a flat tire. So Wanda and her husband, Lisa's stepfather, Mike, drive to her car and Mike stayed to fix the flat tire. And then Wanda drove up and down the road, hoping that maybe she'd just find Lisa walking home, but she didn't. Super uneasy feeling that would be as a parent. It just makes me sick. 
And when Mike realized the utility knife blade sticking out of the tire, he got a horrible feeling in his gut that something was very wrong and that he needed to call the police. So police sprang into action and started asking everyone if they'd seen anything unusual that day, anything that stood out. Multiple customers from Comer's reported seeing a man that stood out, but they weren't sure of his name. But Richie, the cook, actually went to high school with Thomas, and he was able to name him. He told police that Thomas was actually there twice that day, and Richie, in his extraordinary vigilance, even noticed that the first time Thomas arrived at Comer's, he was driving a 1988 tan Oldsmobile Regency, one of those like big boats, you know, mm-hmm. that like almost bob when you drive it. It's so big. Floating. Yes. Skating. And that actually belonged to his sick grandmother, Rena. But then when he came back later that evening for the cheeseburger to go, he was driving a big conversion van. And it was two-toned with the top half of the van being like a sagey green color and then the bottom half of the van a creamy white color. So with this information, police went to Rena's house to ask if they could just speak with Thomas. And they weren't suspicious of him just yet. They just wanted to clear up some things and ask a few questions. They were asking everybody who was at Comer's that day, you know, if they noticed anything. So when they pulled up to Rena's farm, Rena's nurse, Joyce, answered the door. And she told police that Thomas was asleep, so they just said they would come back later. Meanwhile, they were talking to other people who were at Comer's, and by the time police had already talked to everyone else who was at the restaurant that day, they had circled back to Thomas and returned to Rena's house to speak with him. His big green van was parked outside, and when they looked in, they saw some dirty work boots and dirty gloves in the front seat, but Rena said he was not there, and the doors to the van were locked. So when they searched Rena's Oldsmobile, they found a blue rope that was fashioned into a knot that looked like handcuffs. And then when Rena let them inside the house, they searched his bedroom and found some shorts with what appeared to be blood on them. So at this point, it became imperative that they find Thomas. So they eventually find Thomas, and he's laying on the side of the road with a bloody, self-inflicted wound to his wrist and the words, I'm sorry, carved into his chest. He was taken to the hospital to be checked out, and while he was there, he gave a preliminary interview. Carved into his chest. Do you have, like, a picture of it Mm -mm. that you'll share anything? I was just wondering, like, you take a tip of a knife, and, like, I'm trying to imagine, like, scraping skin, so it says, I'm sorry. Like, whatever it is, it would hurt like hell, I would think. Yeah, I would think so, too. And I don't know. I mean, you know, half the time when we talk about these cowards who, you know, violently abuse or kill women and then attempt to take their own life, they give themselves a pretty superficial wound because they can't handle the pain that they just inflicted on somebody else. Um, The irony is not lost on me, but... So he has the, I'm sorry, carved into his chest, and he was taken to the hospital to be checked out. And while he was there, he gave his preliminary interview. He told authorities that he had no idea who Lisa was, let alone what would have happened to her. But in the meantime, a search warrant was issued for his van. So it was towed to a Mississippi crime lab to be inspected. And when the forensics team was able to open the van, they found Lisa. Her nude beaten and battered body was shoved under the back seat she had been beaten raped and strangled to death oh my gosh violent disgusting yeah so inside the van they also found a camcorder with a tape inside so they played the tape 
and you're welcome to leave while I describe a little bit of the tape, but I, I'm not going to go into like very vivid details, um, but it is really disturbing. So if you want to leave, leave. If you want to skip ahead, skip ahead like a full minute because that's probably about how long it'll take me to, to say this. But in the video, an unidentifiable man is seen raping Lisa, who was alive at the time for four hours in the back of the van. The details are upsetting and disgusting, but the video remains under seal and has thankfully never been viewed by the public. However, the details, these disturbing details, um, and I, I only... I only say this because it is, you know, it does connect, but at one point a cucumber was used and I only include that disturbing detail because they were actually able to find Thomas's DNA on the cucumber, proving that it was in fact him in the video, because even though they couldn't see the face, this was really what sealed the deal that it was him. Cause he could have said, Oh, that video, that's not me. Someone stole my van and videotaped it. And that's Mm -hmm. not me. But the cucumber that was used on her had his DNA on it as well. Now, at the end of the video, it was clear that Lisa was deceased, and yet he was still assaulting her in various ways on the video with the cucumber. So with this, Thomas was arrested immediately upon being released from the hospital. And the next day, a freshly dug grave was found about 20 yards into a well-wooded area on his grandma's property. His wife, Katrina, visited him while he was in jail, and during this visit, he let her know that he wanted to make a statement that he did, in fact, rape Lisa, but doesn't remember killing her. However, he admits he must have done so because he knew he raped her. Have you ever wondered why laundry detergent comes in massive plastic jugs? Who wants that? 91% of those inconvenient, awkward, heavy jugs end up in landfills and oceans, harming our planet and marine life. There has to be a better way. And it's not like you can just stop doing laundry. So do what we did and switch to EarthBreeze. Our new EarthBreeze laundry detergent eco sheets look like dryer sheets, but they're not. It's a revolutionary liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold. There's no measuring, no mess, and no heavy plastic jugs. You just toss the sheet in. They're great for all types of laundry, even if you have sensitive skin. They're compatible with HE washers, gray water systems, and they're safe for your septic systems. I was shocked when I first got my pack at just how compact the packaging is. And I'll be honest, I was a little skeptical at first because I had just never used anything like this, but these work and I am amazed. There is no waste. There's no spilling detergent on the front of your machine. And I can even trust my big kids to do their own laundry without wasting a ton of detergent. But don't just take my word for it. You can try for yourself with their risk-free 100% satisfaction guarantee. And if you don't like it, EarthBreeze will give you a full refund. There's no questions asked and no return necessary. You literally have nothing to lose. So switch from the old fashioned goo to something new. Right now, Mom and Mystery listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash mama mystery to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash mama mystery for 40% off. Earthbreeze.com slash mama mystery. Austin, did you know Mother's Day is right around the corner? Mm-hmm. May 14th. That's in like two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
And I have a really cool idea for you if you're still struggling with what to get me or your mom or your grandma or your mother-in-law for Mother's Day. Get her more than just a card. Get her a unique, heartfelt gift that'll truly make her feel special and loved. Give her the gift of StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of options. There are questions you may never have had the chance to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could go back in time and choose a different career path, what would it be? And then after one year, StoryWorth will compile your loved one's answers, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift that you will cherish for years with StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash mama mystery. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash mama mystery to save $10 off your first order. That's storyworth.com slash mama mystery. In November of 2000, Thomas was indicted for capital murder during the commission of a kidnapping rape, and four counts of sexual battery. He pleaded not guilty. He went under a psychological evaluation and was deemed mentally fit to withstand trial. The doctors who evaluated him also concluded that factors such as the alleged physical and sexual abuse that he suffered as a child, combat-related trauma, and job-slash-life-related stresses at the time of the crimes may have influenced his mental state at the time of the murder, but they also opined that the factors did not rise to the level of exculpation or even of statutory mitigation. So basically saying, yeah, these things happened to him, but it shouldn't sway your opinion whatsoever on whether or not he is guilty of this heinous crime. So prior to a trial, a judge will weigh certain factors of the crime to be either aggravating or mitigating circumstances. And you've probably heard this before, but aggravating circumstances typically increase the punishment while mitigating factors typically decrease the punishment. So what the doctors are saying here is that Thomas might bring those up in his defense, but they should not carry weight in the decision to prosecute because they had little to no effect on his behavior at the time of the murder. It's not an excuse, basically. And if a a judge would be willing to allow those circumstances to affect the outcome of the trial, It would really set a very dangerous precedent because by those standards or by that logic, anyone who had a shitty or even remotely difficult childhood would be liable to commit these heinous, atrocious crimes and then get a lesser punishment because they're like, well, I had a rough life. Mm -hmm. So after his psych evaluation report was received, Thomas's defense counsel hired an independent psychologist, Dr. C. Gerald O'Brien, and Thomas was evaluated by Dr. O'Brien in August of 2001. Thomas reportedly informed Dr. O'Brien that he did not want to receive a sentence of life imprisonment and that he wanted to plead in order to receive the death penalty because of his remorse about the crime, the fact that he didn't want his wife to give false testimony, and because of his, quote, diminishing confidence in his lawyers handling of this case. You're on video, though. So what are you talking about? You're on video. 
Your DNA is there. Like you're on video. You recorded it. Did you ever get asked about the "I'm sorry" on his chest? Well, it. We'll get to that. So Dr. O'Brien concluded as a result of his evaluation that Thomas, quote, was under the influence of extreme mental and emotional disturbance and distress at the time of the crime, but also noted that it probably did not rise to the level that he did not know the nature and quality of his acts or the difference between right and wrong in relation to those acts at the time. Horseshit. That is so infuriating. No, no, no. He's... No, he's honest. He's saying, yeah, you you had these issues, but it did not rise to the level that he didn't know the nature and quality oh, of his acts. Oh, okay. So I was I thought you were saying that was an excuse. No, he's not saying like, yeah, these things impaired his judgment. He's, he's not saying like old peen and exclamation and all this. I don't even know what <laughs> oh you're talking God, about. Austin. I'm like, what even language are you speaking here? <laughs> um, well, I'm trying to explain it, but I still don't understand the layman's terms. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. Um, so anyway, basically, yeah, this doctor is like, yeah, he's, you know, admitted some of this stuff, but it doesn't matter. He still did the thing and deserves to be punished. Um, he also offered the opinion, the forensic opinion, that Thomas appeared to be, quote, competent to stand trial and assist in his own defense. Okay. So on September 21st of 2001, 17 days before his October 8th trial date, Thomas waived his right to a jury trial and jury sentencing and pleaded guilty to all six counts of the indictment. And during the hearing, they repeatedly asked him if he was sure, if he knew what he was doing, because there is no turning back after waiving his right to a jury trial, waiving his right to a jury sentencing and pleading guilty to all counts. You can try to appeal it, but the process is is probably not going to work. Pretty I mean, difficult. yeah, it's I guess the option is there, but that's no guarantee that it'll be successful. But he was sure he kept saying, yes, yes, I get it. I'm pleading. I'm just so remorseful. I just feel so bad. I deserve this, like is essentially his, you know, his stance on it. And it seemed like in an unprecedented move, Thomas Loden actually accepted what he had done. He was taking ownership for it and wanted the death penalty. He acted like he was so remorseful and disgusted by his own actions. He did not want to inflict any more pain. He just wanted to excuse himself and do everyone a favor. And a favor it would have been if it were true. Thomas was given the death penalty, just like he seemed to hope for. But almost immediately... He changed his tune and started fighting for an appeal. Obviously, he already pleaded guilty to the crime, which would make an appeal of his, on his conviction highly unlikely. But he wanted to appeal his sentence. Are we talking like minutes later? Um, months later. Months. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're not talking like he's in a courtroom, says, yeah, I'm sure. And there's like, just kidding, pump the brakes. No, no. It was February of 2002, which is barely five months after his sentencing, that he filed an appeal claiming he didn't fully understand what he was agreeing to by pleading guilty, despite being asked repeatedly if he was sure he knew what he was doing when he was in front of the judge. He argued that he was given, quote, erroneous advice by his attorney who said that he could still appeal adverse rulings on pretrial motions after entering the guilty plea, end quote. But his appeal was denied, and it was found that he knowingly and voluntarily entered that plea. He also tried to file a lawsuit stating that the death penalty process was inhumane, which honestly is freaking laughable to me 
He claimed that the method of lethal injection was inhumane because it used three drugs instead of just one. So the three, dr- the three drugs, one is a sedative, one is a paralytic, and then lastly, the last drug is to stop the heart. So let me just set this straight, okay? He committed the most inhumane act on a girl. She suffered for four hours. On video. On video, without the comfort of a sedative. And you have the audacity to say that your execution is inhumane. Like, do people like this just not hear themselves? Because it truly baffles me. If I were in the position to answer his claim, I would laugh in his face and argue that he got off so easy that he should have cucumbers shoved all the way up his ass so far that he chokes on it for what he did to her. But the judge who did rule on it has way more cooth than I do. And he just simply rejected it. His execution date was set for December 14th of 2022. And on that day, which was like, what, not even six months ago, on that day, he had his last meal, which consisted of two fried pork chops, a baked sweet potato, fried okra, butter biscuits, peach cobbler with ice cream, and an iced sweet tea. He gave his final statement saying, quote, I would like to express to the Gray family and anyone else I hurt how deeply remorseful I am for everything I did. I know these are mere words and cannot erase the damage I did. For the last 20 years, I have tried to do one good deed every single day to replace the loss that my actions took from this world. If nothing, I hope you get peace and closure, end quote. Um, I don't know what those good deeds were, but I am sure that none of them would ever amount to the life that Lisa was going to live. She had so much potential, and he stole that, not Mm -hmm. just from her or her family, but the world. Mm -hmm. Then he was laid out on the gurney, and he was given those drugs one at a time, and he was pronounced dead soon after. Now, here's my opinion on this case, just in case you're interested. But I do not believe Thomas's story at all. I don't believe that he just happened upon a girl stranded from a flat tire and that her comment about not being, you know, not doing the Marines or whatever was just so insulting that it enraged him and he snapped. I agree. I don't believe that at all. I believe that Thomas went into Comer's restaurant that day and Lisa caught his eye because she was young and beautiful. And according to multiple reports within the restaurant, he tried to flirt with her and she declined his advances. And I think this is what Thomas found to be so insulting. I think he thought of himself as God's gift to this world. I believe he was arrogant, narcissistic, and I think he abused his status as a Marine, expecting to get whatever he wanted by saying, oh, I'm a Marine. And I'm not saying all Marines are like that. I just think that he used it and abused it in that way. So I believe he went back to his grandmother's house that day, switched vehicles, came back to the diner, and stuck that utility knife into her tire, knowing that it would leave her stranded like a sitting duck. And I believe, after he ordered that cheeseburger to go, that he waited for her in his van. He waited until she got off work, and when she did, he followed her. He approached her stranded vehicle and attacked her. And every intention of doing it from the get. Mm Mm-hmm. And after torturing her for four hours and then killing her, he stuffed her body under the back seat of the van and dug that shallow grave in his grandma's wooded backyard. But when police came knocking the very next morning, he realized he didn't have time to keep digging. So instead, he ran off. 
He slit his wrists and carved I'm sorry into his chest, but he was just weak enough to not dig deep enough. So he actually had to face the consequences. And despite all his efforts to initially claim that he didn't do it, he was at least wise enough to realize that a jury would find him guilty. But while he claimed to be so remorseful and say the words he assumed everyone, his wife, Lisa's family, and anyone else affected by this would want to hear, behind the scenes, he was still fighting to escape his punishment. I wonder how hard Lisa fought to escape her torture. Thomas got a last meal and a hefty one at that. Lisa didn't get that. Lisa suffered in ways we will never understand or be able to comprehend. Thomas lived for another 20 years until he was finally put to death. Lisa was never afforded more time, and yet she is the one who actually deserved to have more time. So as far as I'm concerned, Thomas is right where he deserves to be. Mic drop, well said. Thank you. How do you feel about last meals for death penalty convictions? I've never really thought about it. Do you think that people who... Like for just in this example, do you think he deserved to have this like lavish last meal of all this crap? I mean, I'm initially my thoughts. No, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a weird topic, right? Because I don't know. It's just, I mean, I, I, I tend to say no. Mm-hmm. I like to think that I have the ability in me to forgive obviously this crime you hear it and it's like this it sounds ridiculous to even say this but like i don't know i don't know it's so hard telling because if somebody does if somebody for 30 years they live in a prison cell and i mean do you think let me ask you a different question Mm -hmm. do you think that people can change over the course of 30 years of sitting in a prison cell i think that people like are capable of change. I do. I don't think that it always happens. I don't think he changed. I mean, the guy's a fucking dirtbag. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. And mm-hmm. what he did is horrible. And so when you ask me on the tail end of all that, do you think he deserves his peach cobbler? And I say, well, maybe I sound like a, I sound like I'm endorsing this douchebag, but I'm just saying, so, so not in this case right now though, do you think that over the course of 30 years, just somebody sitting in a prison cell could change? Sure. I just like, I think the weather can change. Sure. Somebody could probably change. They're capable of it, mm-hmm. sure. Do they choose to? I don't know. So do they get a steak before they die? Well, here's how I feel about it. Because every time I research these stories, I do my best to put myself in the shoes of the family so that I can respect them when I tell these stories, mm-hmm. right? So I think about if this happened to my daughter and if I knew he was getting a last meal, I would probably pray really hard that even if he got his last meal, whether I wanted him to have it or not, that he would just freaking choke on it. I don't think he deserves a last meal. I really don't. Lisa didn't get a last meal. I really feel like a lot of times an eye for an eye. I feel like punishment should fit the crime. And I don't feel like being sedated and then being put to sleep better than some people euthanize their pets. I mean, this is a more humane way than some people will euthanize their pets. Well, and he got 20 some years to live. Yes. And to still talk to his family and, you know, have some sort of involvement, even if it was, you know, small in his daughter's life. Cause he has a daughter with or without his dinner and beach cobbler though. It's still not an eye for an eye. No, no. Yeah. Even if he didn't have the meal, it's not like this would, 
it wouldn't make a bit of difference. Mm-hmm. He should have been tortured for four hours. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, that's funny you asked me that. I don't like, I don't know. I don't, I haven't thought about it enough and like mm-hmm. it's putting me on the spot and it's a big, uh, comment. Yeah. It's I a, guess, I don't know. it's a thought provoking question. It's a thought provoking question that I'm not here for. Well, that's fine. Um, <laughs> if you want to leave me your thoughts, I'd love to hear them. You can go to our Instagram and comment on the uh, section of this post. Um, cause I always share photos so that you can see who we're talking about. Um, so if you want to go to Instagram, it's mama.mysterypodcast and you can leave your thoughts there. Um, you're also welcome to just like, if you want to be anonymous about it and just message me, um, through our website, it's mamamystery.com and there's a request form there for... For episodes, but if you want to just like write me a message, then you know you can use it for that too. We should put a post on Instagram, like a a poll thing, to where people can put in their comments. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'm them. curious because I'm curious. I I mean, I'm sure I could I could get on board with both sides of could, do you have a meal or do you not deserve a good meal before you die? But it doesn't change regardless that the dude's a piece of crap. Yeah, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Well, mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.